0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 382 with Karen Martin. Karen is talking about clarity and the huge difference it makes in terms of making workplaces move and function well. So you'll learn one, why people fear asking for clarity. Two, key clarifying questions that stimulate great thinking. And three, why a tolerance for ambiguity is actually a bad thing. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to albums we've referenced, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F382. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our nifty resources. One of the niftiest is the gold nugget email list. So you can get summary insights from Karen and all of the guests that have come before her and afterwards in a quick bit. You can read in two to five minutes in your inbox, as well as accessing the archive of everyone's summary gold nugget wisdom. That's the gold nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's Karen's story. Karen Martin is the president of the global consulting firm TKMG Inc., which is a leading authority on business performance and lean management. She's known for her keen diagnostic skills and rapid results approach. Karen and her team have worked with clients such as AT&T, Chevron, Epson, GlaxoSmithKline, the International Monetary Fund, Lenovo, Mayo Clinic, Prudential Insurance, Qualcomm, and the United States Department of Homeland Security to develop more efficient work systems, grow market share, solve business problems, and accelerate performance. Big thanks to Karen for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free At LinkedIn.com slash be awesome. And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash beawesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Karen. Karen, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
0: Hi, Pete. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Oh, yes, well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom and and to start. I understand you have an aspiration to to write not just businessy type books but also thrillers. What's the story <laughs> here?
0: you know i don't even know where it came from i always liked to write and i always liked to read and i tended as i became an adult to read mysteries and thrillers and with the early john grisham books and everything and just always loved it and then i moved to los angeles and i was surrounded by screenwriters and film people so i you know just was always thinking about plots and subplots and characters and I started writing uh, back in, I think it was in 93, and wrote one completely, got an agent, but he, it was pretty funny. He wanted me to, you know, raise the body count, meaning kill more people, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, I mean, seriously, I'm not kidding about this. You have to actually think about how to kill people. And uh, I...
1: And you, and you do.
0: <laughs> you really do. And um, and I just got to where I didn't like having to think. I mean, I had a whole shelf of books about how to kill people. Poisons and gas and guns. And, and the
1: I FBI just, knocks hey, on your door. Hey, <laughs> hey Karen. It's
0: checking yeah, in. <laughs> yeah. So I just decided I didn't really have it in me, even though I wanted to do it. I just, I don't really think I have it in every cell of my body to kill people. So Mm -hmm. I'm not writing thrillers anymore.
1: Okay. Well, so I'm intrigued. What was your favorite way to kill people? And I don't know how I wanted to find the word favorite, but I'll (laughs) leave it to you. Well,
0: so I always liked the non-gun way because I just can't stand guns. You know, I did come up with a couple clever ways and I can't remember the name of the drug, but there's a drug it's kind of like the modern day uh version of what's that tree um oh i'm blanking what's that tree uh serum that comes from trees and it kills people pretty quickly it's like the modern day version of that and i can't think of it but i just heard of something i heard that someone killed someone just recently using visine and putting visine in a drink how much visine do you need Apparently not much because this, I think it was a spouse thing. I don't remember if it was the wife killed the husband or vice versa, but Visine, really? But these are the kinds of things I would think about on a regular basis. <laughs> and I uh, now think about how to help leaders and businesses perform at higher levels. Oh so yes. it's, it's yeah. much I, I'm more
1: harder. into that as well. And <laughs> uh, But boy, I've used Visine many times. I'm, I'm now I'm wondering what... <laughs>
0: Well, and I have too, and it does kind of sting, you know, when it goes in. Uh-huh. I, I didn't look up the ingredients yet. I should do that
1: when we're done. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, well yeah. now can you tell us, so what's, what's your company, the Karen Martin Group, all about?
0: Uh, I actually started out in healthcare a long time ago and was building operations. So it could be hospital operations, clinical laboratories, physician practices. I did a lot of building networks of hospitals and physicians and things like that. And then I just had this weird coincidence in my life where I needed to go to San Diego and there was a position at San Diego State University in their extension program overseeing their whole quality and improvement operations excellence programs, and I um, had reason. I had been consulting for seven years, but I had reason to want to get off the road because I had children suddenly, and I decided to take that, and I got introduced to this whole new way of thinking about operational design and business performance known as, back then, lean manufacturing, and I had zero manufacturing experience, but as I started learning about it, it was just so intuitive and and sensible and practical. And I started kind of knocking on doors in healthcare to get them to listen to this Japanese model of business management that was so powerful. And then, you know, many years later now, it's, you know, in every industry is, is trying it at some level and most are being successful in pockets. And um, yeah, so it just was a weird transition that I couldn't have predicted.
1: Interesting. You know, we actually had uh, Mr. Taguchi come and speak mm. to our class When I was in college and it was so funny because none of us recognized the significance of this of this man. But our professor says he is in our country. He is in our city. We must go see him. And so we we all took off class and and went to the auditorium. And yeah, so it's so powerful stuff. It is powerful. So and you you share some of the the tidbits in, in your book. Clarity first sort of what would you say is the main point here?
0: well clarity first was a, a follow-on book to the outstanding organization and the the kind of what's behind the outstanding organization is my studying organizations for you know, decades and learning that the most of the problems with performance came down to four missing attributes or conditions in organizations and those are clarity focus discipline and engagement and you know it's not rocket science but yet it's it's woefully lacking in most organizations. And Clarity, that chapter got so much attention and a lot of emotion came to me through the, you know, people saying, wow, you know, I had no idea that we were, you know, operating in the sea of ambiguity and what it was doing to me and my team and our performance and everything. I just knew I had to write a book. And I thought that single subject book would be really easy to write. Huh, not so much. Clarity is tough. Clarity's very interesting, and it's it was tough to write about, to be honest.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, and and it's tough to get a lot of times. And so maybe before we hit the how, I'd like to hear a little bit of the 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 why. Now, I know from my experience of working in organizations that when things are unclear, a lot of my time gets sort of sucked in terms of speculation. Do they want this? Do they want that? Or maybe, you know, which, I don't know, quite no. You know, but can you share? Uh, have have you quantified the, the impact of unclarity in, in workplaces nationwide or, or any other sort of stunning statistics that uh, point to, whoa, this is a big deal? Yes.
0: Yeah, so there's a metric that we use called percent complete and accurate. And we use it to measure the quality of information always. It could be verbal, written, you know, any way that information is being passed from one person to the next or one team to the next. And when you map out a process using that metric, and we also use time also to look at processes, but when you map out the percent complete and accurate, it's not unusual at all to have at some point in a process, a team or a person say, none of the time do I get work that's clear, that I can just do what I need to do without having to go back and ask follow-up questions and clarify and, you know, get through this ambiguity? Like, you know, customer requirements are often very unclear. What leaders want people to do with a project is often very unclear. In our view, it's an actual, it's a fundamental act of disrespect to pass information on to someone and expect them to do something with it when, in fact, it's unclear. So it's about raising our own bar in how we communicate with others and process business processes. Are you know one of the areas where you see the biggest problem related to too much ambiguity?
1: You know, this is funny. This reminds me back to my Bain Consulting days, and and it was Mm. kind of a joke, but kind of not a joke. That rather than saying "I don't know," we would say "It's unclear." (laughs) 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 They really are pretty. Pretty synonymous, except it's unclear. You know, makes you seem like you're smarter because it's not me (laughs) that's just ignorant. It's it's unclear, (laughs) fundamentally, intrinsically. Uh,
0: That's interesting. That's a funny little play on words.
1: I dug that. And so then, now you say you also measure time. How does that work?
0: Well, there's two different times we measure. One is the time it takes to actually do the work if you could do it uninterrupted. Uh, But yet, you know, most people have interruptions and other things that get in the way of being able to do work uninterrupted. So that one, the process time is the time it takes to do work. And then lead time is the time from beginning or, or the work being available to be worked on till that piece of the work is done and passed on to the next you know, person or team in a chain. And that's often a much, much larger number than the time it takes to actually do the work. So then when you start looking at is it, well, why is that? Why? You know, if it only takes five minutes to do something, why is it taking three days to get it done? You know, That opens up lots and lots of doors to discovering the different barriers that are in the way of getting work to actually flow, which is something that makes leaders happy, makes people doing the work feel good. You know, flow, flow is a good thing. And lack of flow is very frustrating.
1: Right. And so this, this percent, complete percent accurate. I mean, what's the distinction there again? Like I have all the stuff versus I know what you're saying. Yeah. Kind of-
0: so it's, I have everything I need and it's as clear as it needs to be for me to move forward and do my work, whatever that you know, task or that person's task is. And so it means, you know, or am I having to do any form of rework or am I not? And rework is both, you know, just correcting wrong information. It's also adding information that's missing that should have or could have been supplied. But the big one is clarifying information that isn't clear to begin with. That's a much higher percentage of the reasons for rework than what people think when they you know are not sensitized to it. And once they're sensitized to it, they're like, oh my God, we're not suggesting you don't clarify when you need to. We're suggesting you get rid of the need for clarification by getting better information up front.
1: This is intriguing because I think that well, I'll just play devil's advocate a little bit. If someone says, "You know, Karen, that the work we're doing is complex, and not everything is is known and spelled out," and and I, as a highly paid executive, you know, passing it on to a slightly lesser paid manager, am counting on that person proactively using their initiative and gumption and judgment and problem solving. To, to advance clarity and, and, and get it done and, and should it really be my job to to lay that out for them as a high level professional?
0: Yeah, that's a really good distinction. So it's really in that case, it's about having enough clarity when the work is assigned that the person knows what they need to do to get going on seeking that clarity that's part of the project. So often you know so oftentimes when the assignment is given, the goal or the mission or the outcome that you're looking for, the result, that's unclear. And so then the person starts going down a path that may not be the path that the leader intended in the first place. And, and people are afraid. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time. They are afraid to go back and clarify when the big boss you know, has given them something to do. And it's very risky to not clarify. Very risky.
1: It's risky to not clarify but right. the fear is associated with doing the clarifying. And can you, can you speak to, you know, what, how's that fear? What's it look, sound, feel like? And, and to what extent is it, is it warranted and justified versus a, a phantom?
0: Uh, it's almost always warranted and justified. If you get even one case of proof, you know, where you ask for clarification, you get smacked down. You know, figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if that happens, that's proof. And, and you know what it is. However, What often happens is, you know, we're we're shaped, we behave and we think based on all of our experiences in life. And what happens very often is we either have parents or early teachers or early bosses who have a whole different you know set of reasons why they don't want you to seek clarity they don't want you to be curious they don't want you to be humble and approach things in the you know really positive way and so you get tamped down and little by little you know fear starts rising because you get in trouble for asking questions and but what has to happen as adults we have to you know be able to differentiate between that situation and this situation and be more intentional about it. is it safe to ask or is it not safe to ask? And, you know, I would pause. If it's not safe to ask for clarification, got to really start thinking about getting in a different environment that where that clarification is honored.
1: And what what would the the punishment or the reprisal or the the feared for response kind of sound like in practice? So it's like, I ask you for clarification and you give me the response I fear. What, what's that kind of response sound like?
0: Well, um, it can be everything from, you know, stop asking so many questions, you don't need to know all this, you know, those kinds of things, to people not knowing the answer and not being able to say, I don't know, oh. or that's unclear.
1: Okay. And So they just <laughs> you know? lie or make something up? or
0: Oh, yeah, people lie all the time. Okay. Because they're insecure about saying, I don't know. There you go. Yeah, it's it's a weird, you know, it's a really weird, it's a slippery slope, and it's a weird dynamic between people and teams. This isn't just you know individuals. This is between entire work teams within an organization where you see this. Well, you know, because they don't want to you know appear that they don't know and don't feel comfortable saying I don't know, which is the three most powerful words besides I love you that there is. Ooh, I don't know.
1: Tell me why, why? Why is it so powerful?
0: Because it's. Honest. It's okay. It's authentic. We don't know. If if we know everything, then we are operating from a place of arrogance. We don't know. And so it's being very humble and it's not being not powerful. I mean, actually the, the more powerful people that really have power, you'll hear them say, I don't know a lot, because they really don't know. You know, no leader especially can know a lot of the kinds of questions that people at middle levels or even lower levels in the organization ask. They don't know. They're you know, they're not the experts in that.
1: And, and that's so intriguing when you talk about the lying then, I, I guess that, that puts you in trouble if if you listen you ask for clarification, you get a lie back and then you you kind of make good on doing just what you thought you were supposed to do. A base of the lie and then they probably could sort of re- retract that lie it's like well you you asked for this like i asked for no such thing karen <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah oh, yeah
0: yeah what a mess exactly <laughs> and hopefully you don't have to resort to the cya thing where you document everything oh, you know yeah. but um please confirm
1: please there's, confirm
0: <laughs> there's plenty of cultures where that becomes the norm
1: right and so then Boy, I, I want to get your take then. Oh, I, well, first, I think we, we, we locked in the complete and accurate situation. So I, we may have a wildly undefined piece of work, but so long as you've got enough to, to begin charging down on it, then, then be, the counts is 100% complete, 100% accurate from, from your assessment, such that if I said, hey, figure out a marketing strategy we know very little uh, we But we do know that uh, we've got $20,000 to spend and that we want it to be very trackable and that it should have uh, a strong reason to suspect a tremendous ROI, you know, go. So, so that would be kind of like enough to count as, as accurate and complete.
0: Yeah, those are clear requirements. And so the person can do what they need to do. The You know, the, a lot of times we get clarity and certainty confused and okay. they're, they're related. Nice.
1: That's good um, to distinguish. It,
0: Yeah. And transparency also is a bit of a cousin there, but they're not the same. So you can be very certain that you're unclear and that's, that's good. And you can be very clear that you're uncertain. Did I say that? I Uh, I
1: think you You, you got it both ways. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, And so certainty is, you know, very normal and there's a lot in life, especially with new product development or market, market types of decisions. There's a lot you're not certain about but you can be clear about what your goals are. You can be clear about any kind of constraints that are in the way. You know, you can be clear about a whole lot that makes getting work done a whole lot more effective, higher quality, and faster, a lot faster.
1: Okay. Very good. And so you mentioned, we were talking about getting the, the data on how big a problem is. You said sometimes you'll see straight zeros, like it, it's totally unclear or complete or, or inaccurate. And so do you have like a, a benchmark, uh, an average or median, or it's like generally we see roughly between X and Y percent of of completeness and accuracy.
0: Well, when we map either a process, which is a you know, very tactical level process, or value streams, which are a series of processes that you know, deliver value to a customer, the percent complete and accurate in business processes. So I'm not going to talk about patient care and healthcare or manufacturing yet, but in business processes, it's not at all unusual to see the accumulation of all the individual percent CNAs be around 15%, meaning 85% of the time, the work is not being passed forward as clear as it can and should be, or as, as um, complete. So there's also that complete, we're not talking so much about that today, but um, there's that complete and clear part of that metric. In manufacturing, it can get up more than, you know, 50%, 60, 70, 80. Um, healthcare also can get up into those. But when you have business processes, it's, you know, most organizations haven't spent any time really working on their business processes. And it's the area that is the predecessor to the actual delivery of value to a customer. And so it's really important to get high levels of clarity in those processes, and they're often ignored.
1: And so could you give us an example of a business process and and where some things might uh, fall short along the chain?
0: Sure. So business process could be in the HR area, IT, finance, or in the case of insurance, it could be their whole product line is, is a business process. So processing a claim, processing an application. And what happens is, you know, as, there's, as people are learning how to do the job, they're taking in information, making assumptions. That's the other thing is we operate with assumptions and biases and history that may not be relevant or, or valid for that situation. Then they pass it on. And sometimes the people that they get, they get the work from don't know that it's wrong. Because they're not the ones thinking in the way that the predecessor was thinking, so it it just is a bit of a snowball when this keeps getting passed down the chain, and everybody, is, no one's really sure that the information is unclear, and or I'm sorry, they're, they they're not sure it's wrong at the point that it gets passed down. When you're working with a computer, you're pretty much doing a business process. You know, when you're data data heavy, transactional, all those kinds of processes. That are not making a widget, for example, or treating a patient; those are business processes or administrative processes. You could also call them.
1: Okay, well, it's interesting. So, in the realm of, say, filing or processing an insurance claim as an insurance company, you know, they do this many, many, many times per day, month, and so. So, where might there be some some key breakdowns that we should we shouldn't stand for and or tolerate? We should say, "What's up with this? Let's let's fix it."
0: Well, it's everything from having clarity around what the requirements for the work to be accepted versus not accepted to be in the first place. You know, a lot of organizations, you're not allowed to reject work that you got from an upstream internal supplier. And so in other words, you know, the department that passes work to you, a lot of times it's not acceptable culturally to say, hey, this isn't right, fix this and then give me the work. What happens is people, you know, take the work and they think they're doing the right thing by just trying to fix it themselves. But then the people that are passing that work on never learn that the work wasn't okay to begin with. So this happens all the time. We get cross-functional teams together in a room and someone who supplies work to someone else will be at the table and the person who receives it will say, well, I'd say 30% of the time it's either unclear or there are errors. And the people delivering the work will go, what? What is it? Like, what do you need that you're not getting? What's unclear? And then the person will say, well, this, and that, and they've just never had the conversation. And what usually happens is there's been tension between these people in these departments that once they understand each other, it's all about understanding each other. It melts away and then you have a brilliantly designed process that that performs as it should because these people had a conversation that they should have had 10 years ago but they're you know we force it in these in these kind of tiger team like activities to get clarity around the work and what should be done
1: yeah that, that's interesting and i guess at sometimes when it comes to fixing it i guess at times it might be good to just make it clear that um you know yes uh, that is part of your job is to fix it, <laughs> you know, because, you know, based upon the the leveraging or application of of resources, as opposed to other times, it'd be like, no, 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 it needs to come in pristine consistently, you know, because I, I guess I'm thinking based upon sort of where your bottlenecks are, and the, uh, the relative expensiveness of each employee's hour to the organization.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not a big fan of a department that didn't generate the work fixing the work. I'm a big fan of putting the problem where it belongs. And it belongs back at the people generating the work. And it's not about the people. It's almost always about the process or the work systems. You know, the people are doing what they think is the right thing. And it could be any number of reasons why they're not able to do the right thing and they're passing that work downstream. But I, I don't think the downstream people should be the ones fixing upstream work that doesn't come in clean.
1: Well, I guess I'm thinking like, let's imagine, you know, I'm imagining a world in which I um, sort of upload some files. Let's <laughs> we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get real, real tactical and specific. Mm-hmm. With it. I upload some files uh, and they're, they're recordings of, uh, of, of, a, of, a, of a Skype conversation, right? And and so you know maybe your Skype name is something like you know K Martin forty three, and then I, I just sort of put it up there. Now now it'd be good and proper of me to rename uh, that file to to having your your full name to make it clearer for for my collaborators to unmistakably note. Okay, yeah, this is where it lines up on the media schedule and 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 so forth. But I sure love saving the twenty seconds of, of of not renaming it and having other people that that do it for me. I guess maybe the way to have my cake and eat it too here is to just make it sort of like a standard understood operating procedure. It's like, oh, you might notice at times that the file names come in this way. Please take a look at the the media schedule sheet and adjust it accordingly. So that, I guess that's how I'm I'm thinking about it. Is um. Sometimes I'm the beneficiary of my uh, my unclear practices.
0: Yeah, so I think what you're just what you're defining there is a situation where you just have to be clear which person needs to do which task. And so, you know, you can have a high, high, high paid person doing work and choose not to have them do some aspect of the work, but rather have a lower priced person. Doing that kind of work so that the higher priced person can keep p- producing you know higher quality out- or higher priced output that's one choice, and it's sometimes very, very much the way you should go. There are other times where it 's the opposite, and so it's very situational, and it depends on who has the knowledge and what the additional time it takes. To do the work is because sometimes the higher paid person, it's only seconds to do that one lex- last thing mm-hmm. that if you hand it over might take minutes for someone else. And even if they're lower paid, it can cause delays in the work moving. So it's, you know, it's, it's very situational. You
1: have to yeah, you l- look at the whole picture. I that's well said because it, it could, it could be many times that because someone's like, Hey, Martin 47. What, what the heck is this? I don't know. Let me, right. I'm going to have to. Download it. I'm gonna to have to listen to it. I'm gonna to have to hear some keywords. I'm going to have to do a search in the file system and realize, oh, that that was a podcast interview Pete did right. with someone named Karen Martin on this date. Okay, and so maybe that took ten minutes, you know, whereas I could have just click rename, you know, Karen Martin, you know, and, and had that handled.
0: Well, yeah, and the other thing is, we want people to feel good about their work. I mean, this is not we aren't putting rats in a in a mill to do work. Way rats in a mill do? I don't know what, where that even came from. <laughs> like, I don't know where rats. that came from, but rats in a mill—that's my new thing. Um, and so, but we want people to feel good about their work and, and be able to, you know, put out high-quality work. And so, what needs to happen is, if let's just say that you decide that the process design that works the best is to have this downstream person do, you know, correct your file names. If that downstream person doesn't recognize that as part of his or her job then okay. he be pissed off at you, Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> you know? A sloppy, and so, jerk.
0: <laughs> yeah, arrogant, you know, whatever. And so it needs to be explicitly designed as part of the process and good reasons given why that person should do this work. And they need to be also very involved in, de- in designing the work at that level, at a tactical level, and they're often not. And so as long as people understand why and that's very liberating and people a lot of people will take a lot of stuff if they understand why
1: right yeah and and maybe even, even take pride in it it's like hey yeah, you know what Th- things move real fast around here and there there's going to be a little bit of uh of mess and and boy when you bring order and organization to that mess it uh, it just makes everything hum along so much better so so thank you you'll be tackling the renaming of files as well as <laughs> the organizing of them you know in these ways and 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 it's really helpful so Exactly. Well, let's talk about how to, how we get to the clarity. You mentioned one thing is simply having that conversation uh, associated with it, sitting down, and and here's what's incomplete or difficult or, or or inaccurate. And and what are some of your other you know best practices for getting there?
0: Well, mindfulness is key in all of this, and you know, working mindfully means a lot of different things. So it means that you know we are aware, uh, very very acutely aware of what's going on. And we're making, you know, strategic decisions based on that deeper awareness of what to say and what to do. And so, you know, when you, and and awareness takes practice to get mindfulness, takes practice to become really good at it. There are lots of different practices that help you get there, like meditation and clearing the mind in all kinds of different ways that are out there. Just being not methodical, meaning you get really slow, <laughs> but being methodical about considering the information you've received and it, you know, what are you really supposed to do with that information and just taking a breath and slowing down for a moment helps bring clarity and, and clarity is a gift. So it helps both deliver with greater clarity and it also helps you see whether what you're receiving is clear enough to take action on it or not. So it's just slowing down, thinking, clearing the mind, breathing, and you actually, I always say, go slow to go fast. You actually work faster when you're more methodical.
1: Intriguing. And so, so the mindfulness helps because you are, are getting a clearer sense of, of what is actually uh, taking place, as well as maybe more compassion for imagining the next person who's, 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 who's tackling it. That's, it's interesting that that makes such a difference.
0: Yeah, it it does. I mean, it, we get into this you know, kind of, you know, rat on a treadmill thing, you know, <laughs> we're not mice in factories anymore. Now we're rats on treadmills. And, you know, we just go, 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 go. And we don't stop to think enough. And if you just take a moment to think about what's really happening and being very present, and not being judgmental, frankly, I mean, it's just it's being able to take what's happening Kind of non-judgmentally, without emotion, and then taking better actions as a result of that level of awareness, it just it helps monumentally.
1: That's that's fascinating. Now we've talked a lot about how mindfulness makes a real impact for for you, the the individual worker, not succumbing to distractions and and being able to have more you know creative ideas and and focus in on the right things. And, And so now you're highlighting that there are some powerful. Interpersonal effects of of it as well, and I love the part about non judgmental because I imagine if your brain is consumed by by fuming over how some idiot always gives you the stuff wrong, mm-hmm. you know, then, then you are in less of a, a mental position to to have some some helpful, proactive, mm-hmm. creative, strategic ideas as to as to fixing the root of the problem.
0: I mean, we blame people all the time for work-related problems, and it's almost never a human desire to screw things up. Right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm going to go to work today, and I'm going to just mess up everything as much as I can. You're like, no one does that. Or maybe the rare sociopath, you know, that gets hired somehow. But, I mean, that's rare. Most people want to do well. They want to perform at high levels. They want to serve. And, you know in organizations, we kind of create these situations where we do everything but allow them to be able to do that. And then we blame them. And that's like, no, 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 no. that's not, that's not right.
1: Well, so then I'd love to get your take. So that's one thing is you you have the conversation, you, you work mindfully and, and, and what else? To get clear. Right.
0: Uh, I think asking a lot of questions about questions is an underutilized skill. So when someone asks you a question, very often that question is, masking what they're really asking. Let me think of an example. So, okay. So let's just say you give me a report and I say to you, Oh, are you done already with this report? (laughs) You know, what am I really asking? And and I'm not asking, I mean, you can say, yes, I am really done, but there's something behind my question. And so asking questions about questions. And very often, I'll just say something simple, like, huh, that's, that's an interesting question. I'm curious. Why are you asking that? And if you do it with the right tone and in the right you know, way, people will often answer it and you'll get amazing insights into what they're actually after and what they're thinking. And then you can respond in a more you know, re- relevant way because you're actually a- you're answering the, ac- the question they didn't ask.
1: Intriguing. Yeah, so that they could be any number of things from, I'm accustomed to this taking four times as long, or I had imagined there to be a, a very detailed research piece necessary that how could you possibly have already completed that? Right. Or, or something
0: right. totally different. Like, I don't trust this because it's too fast. You know, whatever, yeah, whatever it might be. And, you know, by the way, this stuff all works so well at home. I mean, this is great tips for relationships, parent-child situations. It's so interesting how we choose to communicate and how often it is
1: very unclear. Well, and I'd also like to get your sense for it. That's a, that's a great question is, oh, I'm curious. Why are you asking that? And What are some of your other sort of top favorite power questions that that tend to just yield clarity? phenomenally.
0: Yeah. In our world, there's a a couple of really key ones. Why, of course, is a really big one. And why is another one that people get pounded out of them sometimes by, you know, otherwise well-meaning parents, teachers, and bosses, and that we have to, you know, allow people in the organization to be able to ask that why, because why is the mind of a scientist asks why. And uh, curiosity is what's going to lead to greater innovation and higher quality and all those, good things that we want, but yet sometimes people don't feel safe asking why. What if is another one and why not is another one. Another one is how, what would have to be true if? Another one is how could we? So all of those questions stimulate, you know, positive thinking and the glass becomes, you know, half full and not half empty.
1: And could you, could you give us a few completions of the why stem there so the first thing that came to mind for me is why am i doing this but uh how how about you say it
0: well so one quick thing about why so why is one that's very tricky tonally you have to be very careful that the why isn't laced with any kind of blame and it's both you know body language and the way the question why is asked Um, so that's you have to ask it in a from a very heartfelt place if you want to get a good answer. So, you know, why it could be everything, about, everything from why a situation exists to why a person's taking this specific action they're taking to why, you know, something, well, I guess it's those two things. It's either an action or, or a thought pattern that you're exploring and trying to figure out, you know, what's behind that. And why is big in problem solving very big in problem solving?
1: And, and I like that point you made about the defensiveness. And I remember from my coaching training, they would they'd suggest you could substitute "why" with uh, "what led you to" or, or something like that, which which still gets gets you there. It's like why why are we doing this piece of work? It's like oh, uh, what are we hoping to achieve with this piece of work? Yeah, <laughs> and, and so you get after what you're still getting after. So so that's good. Well, well any other pro tips on on how we arrive at? At clarity before we hear about some of your favorite things?
0: You know, I think being kind of relentless in seeking clarity helps. In other words, developing. So I've seen job descriptions a lot that say, you know, must have a tolerance for ambiguity. And I say, no, (laughs) you don't want to hire someone that has a high tolerance for ambiguity. You want just the opposite. You want someone who has zero tolerance for ambiguity, and so you know, just becoming aware of it, and then just deciding you're going to be brave and courageous, and and ask for clarification, and then you know identify why you're having to ask it, and then find a way so that you don't have to keep asking it. That that you know solves the problem more deeply.
1: I'm glad you went there, and uh, that's that's intriguing to to hear. And I also think about sometimes like the business language and jargon people use at times i think that's because they haven't actually done the hard thinking or the hard questioning necessary to to know what they're really really after so they they use some corporate jargony buzzwords which have multiple interpretations and that way what they're saying is is not inaccurate it's just not saying much
0: right yeah so it it's again being responsible on both the provision of information and also the receiving of information. So being responsible on the provision of information is doing your best to be clear about what it is you want to ask or say before you ask or say it. And then, you know, when you receive information, then that person may or may not be aware and may or may not be thinking about clarity. So then, you know, if you're getting unclear information, it's asking for clarification so that you understand. I mean, it's very powerful to have clear information. It's scary, at times, because sometimes the truth isn't so lovely, but it's, it's definitely more powerful and liberating than not knowing and or trying to operate in muck or fog, which is what happens if you don't, as for
1: clarification. And a lot of times, I, you know, speaking about the, the muck or fog, when, what do you do when just the, the powers that be, you know, don't really seem to have their own act together with regard to, you know, what's the, what's the true priority? what really matters more than than the other thing?
0: Oh, yes. That, if I could answer that one definitively, I'd be a rich woman. Um, it's a really good question. And it's very difficult when you have people above you in the company that are not operating from a place of clarity. And you know, there's everything from the small little things where you do ask for clarification and explain why you're asking for clarification so the person doesn't feel threatened. You know, you you really have a need to know because of this, that, or the other thing. And you can help sensitize them to the fact that they are operating communication wise from a place of not a lot of clarity. You know, sometimes you can get away with a candid conversation with someone. It even someone who's above you in the organization hierarchically, you can you can sometimes sit down and go, you know, I just I, I just feel like we can be so much, we can get so much more done and be more effective and have higher quality if I'm a little more clear to begin with on what the needs really are or what you need from me or whatever it might be. And, you know, sometimes if you frame it in the right way, a person, you know, will be very responsive to that and hear it. I mean, then there's the you know, occasional leader that is never going to hear it. And they're never going to be anything but defensive. And that's when you have to make a tough decision whether you try to find a place that is a little more inviting, <laughs> you know, for you to be able to thrive as a person.
1: Well, now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Well, the
0: one I mentioned earlier is one of the ones I say the most often, which is go slow to go fast. It's counterintuitive, but it is very, very powerful that, you know, people often think that they're going to get analysis paralysis, so they just slow down a little bit. But in problem solving, for example, if people rush to a conclusion, they're often operating from fear because of time constraints or from a place of assumptions or biases or from a place of arrogance because they don't know. And if you don't learn why the problem exists and do the deep dive and have a scientist mind for that, you're very likely going to put either a superficial and short-lived countermeasure in place, or it's going to be the wrong thing altogether. And so the overall problem solving cycle gets much, much faster if you take the time to understand why the problem exists and do a deep dive into that before you figure out what are you going to do about it. Most people do the opposite. You know, here's the problem. Here's what we're going to do about it. Bam. And that's not that's not good thinking.
1: Right. And do you have a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research?
0: You know, actually, it's, it's, it's related to uh, clarity, but it's also not entirely related to clarity. There was a study I learned about when I was writing The Outstanding Organization about task switching. And it was this uh, professor out of University of Michigan, Myers, is his last name, David Meyer. And he studied engineers and showed that they switched tasks every like five to eight times a day on average. And that every time they did it, they were losing 20 minutes of productivity because they had this mental ramp up time to get back to the thing that they were working on before they got interrupted or went to a different project. The more we work with organizations, the more we see that that is a huge organizational burden that, you know, is a bit of a drag on the organization at an individual level and also project teams. So, I mean, this research was pretty darn compelling and then others replicated it. And then they also started adding in different kinds of tasks and things like that to to see that, you know, this whole notion of multitasking is a misnomer. You can't multitask two cognitive tasks. And you're actually switching back and forth. And so becoming clear that you're doing that and becoming sensitized to how that erodes productivity is a very helpful exercise for individuals, leaders, you know, anybody.
1: And how about a favorite
0: book? Oh my, I have so many favorite books. So I'm going to say a fiction book first, since we started out talking about thrillers and it's not a thriller at all. My favorite book is Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. And um, it's, it's been a book I've read over and over and over. I just love that book. From a business perspective, oh, this is tough. There are so many I love. I actually like the works of W. Edwards Deming a lot. Mm-hmm. And all of his books are, they're really good. And he, he was wise well beyond his years. And now a lot of his wisdom is coming back to roost. And people are starting to finally you know, see, oh, this guy was right after all. So it's, uh, it's nice to see Deming's work come back.
1: And how about a favorite tool?
0: And by tool, do you mean, oh, what do you, you mean
1: use to, to be awesome at your job?
0: Oh, to be awesome. Hmm. I think a favorite tool is listening
1: and any favorite ways you like to listen.
0: I like to ask clarifying questions, you know? So if someone is asking me, like well, you said, what's your favorite tool? I didn't know exactly what you meant. And so I said, you know, to some effect, like, what do you mean by tool? That way you deliver more accurately what the person's looking for. So I think deep listening is, a, you know, I, I don't know if you call that a tool or not, but it's a skill and it's, a, it's something you use to, you know, generate higher performance. So I, I, I think listening is a, an art in and of itself and something that we can all get better and better at.
1: Oh, sure thing. And how about a uh, favorite habit?
0: My favorite habit is zero inbox.
1: So, every day meaning, or how often? <laughs> every day. How long does that take you?
0: All day. I mean, you know, not all day, <laughs> not all day to clear it out, but it's, it's, you're doing it all day long to make sure that at the end of the day, you don't have anything in your inbox. And it's, it's a challenge to keep up with it, but it is so liberating when you get, when you get it down. So AI zero inbox, I think is. um, Yes, you know, David Allen was the one that that started that whole movement, and it's one of the most liberating things. And also, turn off email notifications. Oh right, yes. Turn them off. Turn them off, everyone. Yeah, I, both of those habits help me be much more productive. And I think the the proof's in the pudding. People should try it and see what see what happens.
1: Oh, that's cool. And so now I'm so intrigued by this because, well, I, I find it so difficult. I even I even am part of a private beta for some software called superhuman that that runs faster than gmail it's actually pretty awesome i love it uh you might ask them they could they'll probably let you in but um that's it, a free ad hey super uh superhuman enjoy but um <laughs> but yeah so so just so you say that, that that's part of just your working day is that you you multiple times a day fire up a gmail or the email program and, and go to town
0: yeah, well, my email is always open, but I minimize it when I'm working on other things. You know, there's no sound, there's no visual, there's no nothing to distract because that's that contributes to task switching, and that is a productivity drain beyond beyond. <laughs> you you can get, you know, four times as much done during the day if you just focus on one thing at a time.
1: Absolutely. And so so if you bring it to zero every day, then does that mean you have a, a smaller limit to the number of hours you will commit of yourself a day to to non-email? No,
0: I don't think so. Um, it's situational. So when I have a book come out, of course, my email volume goes way up. And when I, it's been you know, six months, seven months into it, then it starts dying down a little bit again. And so it's situational. But No, I, and I don't think that I lose any time by getting to zero inbox. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm gaining a ton of time because you look at things once you disposition it and then, you know, usually you're done. And so it's just, it's just a matter of not letting things linger and get to it and get it done and move on.
1: (laughs) Do you have a sense for, for how much time you spend on email each day?
0: Hmm, That's a great question. I've never timed it. Well, I work long hours. So first of all, let's get this in proportion. I'm often working 12 and 14 hour days. I would say two hours.
1: Gotcha. All right. Thank you. Of that day. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the price of excellence. Thank you for sharing. And, and how about, is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with people and they quote it back to you?
0: I can't think of anything that they actually quote back, but this is the one fascinating thing that happens with clarity is every time I either give a talk or I give a workshop or something, people kind of stalk me <laughs> and they go, oh my God, Karen Martin, you've ruined me. And I'm like, wow well, how have I ruined you? I can't stop Thinking about clarity, and I now in the presence of ambiguity, I can't tolerate it. And and I'm like, good, my mission is accomplished. You know, Um, I hear it a lot that people just are feeling so liberated by starting to live with clarity, and there's you know they feel so much worse when they're not in the presence of clarity because they now see the power of clarity. Like you know what to do now, you can do it. You don't have to guess. It's, it's pretty liberating.
1: If folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them to?
0: There's a couple different URLs, I'll say. So TKMG is the company name, .com, and that's the, the main website. Also, clarityfirstquiz.com is a free assessment you can take to learn how you're currently dealing with clarity or not, and your organization as well. And then clarityfirstbook.com is the book page. And there's, uh, I have all kinds of uh, free webinars also and podcasts on the website as well. So tkmg.com is kind of the brains and you can go from there.
1: Mm-hmm. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
0: Being awesome requires that you embrace the need for clarity. You believe that it can be helpful and you start practicing it every day. And so I would just encourage everyone to make the decision that it's better to have clarity than not and start delivering with greater clarity and start demanding clarity in return and just see how high you can soar. It's pretty, pretty powerful.
1: Well, Kara, this has been a whole lot of fun. I wish you all the best of luck with the book, Clarity First, and and all the things you're making clear.
0: Thank you so much. I, I wish you a very nice holiday season and um, spread the word of clarity more and more to everybody. It's It's a gift.
1: I really appreciated Karen's take on going slow in order to go fast. And that's great in terms of getting clarity in terms of what you're looking at, where you're going, what you're trying to achieve, both internally, just thinking to yourself and externally and getting that clarity from other folks about what's going on. And I can think of times I've been so excited to to rip into a data set and you know slice and dice and segment and filter and Excel, only to realize, oh... This isn't the data that I wanted. This is quarterly instead of a whole year. Oops. You know, as opposed to really taking a moment to slow down, which would enable me to go faster because I didn't waste all that time doing something that I didn't need to do and wasn't going to achieve the goal we sought. So, Good tips about that and more from Karen. Hope you dug them. If you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F382. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. Look we'll here for our next guest. It's a Michael Arena. He is the chief talent officer over at General Motors, and he is sharing some perspective on how they went about doing some culture shifts there. Hope to catch you there. Peace.